1: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, it's been a while since we talked about our old mate Jason Furman.
2: Uh, Has he paid his bills? He has paid his bills. Oh, okay. So we should record him a new ad. Surely he has a website now? Uh, No, he does not. Oh. Uh, Maybe he's provided a direct phone number people can order through? Uh, I'll just check. Nope, no phone number either. I like the way that you're actually pretending to look whether he has provided... (laughs) <laughs> so, if you want to get in contact with Dation, you still have to do that through Facebook. It's uh, Einswick Dog Quip, E I N Z W E C K. Jason can hook you up with all the things you might be interested in getting, the fire mills, which a lot of people are getting and loving. Mm. He has Herm Springer products, if you're into those. Yep. He has balls, leashes, tugs. Yep. And at the moment, he has a 10%
1: discount on all Canine USA products. That's pretty cool. And I believe he's got a lot of the other stuff that you can use to compete in GRC as well, such as the sleds and the Mm. spring poles.
2: Yeah, that's correct. He yeah. sure does. Well, it's so great that's great. That's a sport that.
1: taking the world by storm.
3: Yeah.
2: So if you're into that, or you just like train your dog, having a good time, have a chat to Jason
1: on Facebook at Ironswick Dog Quip. Yep. Send him an inventory via Messenger and get your gear. <laughs> <laughs> get a website, Jason, you bozo.
3: Yeah.
2: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. I've got a couple of guests with us, but before I introduce them, I've got something I have to say. Mm. So last episode, I said in earnest some unkind things about someone. Mm. And with the information that I had at that time, I support what I said, but I have new information. I no longer support that. And I think that... All we have is our integrity. We're just voices. And if we don't say what we feel and what is true to us, then what fucking good are we? And I no longer support the unkind things I said about a facility owner in the last episode. Yeah, we didn't name name the facility. We didn't name him then and we won't name him again now. Yeah. Didn't name the facility or the person. Mm. But people listening, I have apologized to him in person. I found out some more information. Yeah, Um, it caused a bit of um, backwards and forwards and a little bit of – argy-bargy, which it would. We don't need to go too deep into it, but with the information I have now, yep. I no longer support the things that I said in the past, and I apologize.
1: Uh, so likewise for me. It was disappointing that we had to be schooled, and we have to be big enough to say, when we're wrong, we're wrong, and for that, we apologize, and we retract what we said. So, on with the show. Yep.
2: Hey, so we get a fair amount of... <laughs> I always say feedback from people saying that really all we talk about is sport dog stuff that we're interested in and pet dog stuff that Mm. we also do. So we have a couple people in the room with us that work in the industry in dogs outside of that. So welcome Jedda Cutlick, who is working in greyhound racing currently. And And finally, Georgie Harrington. Veteran of the show, but you're on a a Patreon episode.
0: The very famous Georgie Harrington. The
2: famous Georgie Harrington, (laughs) who uh, has also worked in the racing industry and horse racing, (laughs) but
1: actually presently works with her stock dogs, working stock. So ladies, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you very
0: much for having us.
1: Mm, No, thank you for coming on, especially uh, considering we've been... All of us have been uh, attending Mike Suttle's seminar. Mm-hmm. We've been uh, drinking beers and wine and, and enjoying time together. And it's late at night, and you've stuck around kindly to do the podcast with us.
0: Just happy yeah. to be here. I'm no happy to have how you we here, to Sydney. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey,
2: so Jeddah, yes. let's talk greyhound racing. Mm-hmm. How long have you been involved in the industry, and what's your role?
0: Um, So I've been only involved since about January last year. I started with a part-time job at one of the Greyhound tracks up in Brisbane and it turns out I love it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I couldn't get enough being around the dogs and based on what I've seen and what a couple trainers have spoken to me about, I thought, is there a way I can introduce what I know about working dogs? and sport dogs into greyhounds and see if that makes a difference. And mm-hmm. I think it will, remains to be seen. I've obviously only just sort of started doing it myself, um, but hopefully it does and might change the way a couple of people do things.
2: Let's just do your history a little bit. You mm-hmm. have a German Shepherd, uh, yeah. are involved with Gold Coast uh, Sport Dog Club.
0: I was, yeah. So I started off, I pretty much just wanted um, – companion and i liked the breed Mm -hmm. and then discovered ipo and thought hey this is really cool um explored it a little bit um we sort of fell in and out of it Mm -hmm. so at the moment we're not actively involved we still train at home um but then yeah work commitments sort of got in the way of getting to the club and stuff yeah but that's sort of how i well what i know about working in sport dogs Mm -hmm. through that yeah
2: and have you worked training pets do you have a like a business doing that at any stage or
3: no
0: i've explored it a little bit sort of we got family pets that were mm-hmm. rescues and had issues and so i've sort of done a little bit of pet work with that but not not outside that cool no.
2: so all your training is or prior to getting into the greyhounds was sport focused. that's where it pretty much yeah. yeah yeah cool but she did
1: design our a logo for our t-shirt yeah yeah, actually. The, she was the competition. The yes. slogan, yeah. The she slogan. was. Yeah, sorry, not the logo, the slogan. She was the winner of the competition. We put it out to market amongst our listeners at the time and jetta was the one that Pat and I both laughed at the most. So yeah. we just mm. said that's got to be Heiden the one. Heighten your arousal and lose all impulse control. Mm. Sweaty
0: but also appropriate for public. Yes, very sweaty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well put. So greyhound racing, and what, what's, what is your role? What do you do?
0: Yeah, so at the track I do lots of different things. I'll work in the kennels supervising and also just, you know, like the smaller roles in the kennels. And I'm also on the track. Recently I became like a licensed starter. So you'll see me on Sky Racing waving at the TV and sort of officiating that, which is fun. It's like good to be out there.
2: Mm -hmm. What's a licensed starter? What do you do?
0: So I basically start the race. Like the trainers will come out with their dogs. And then when the stewards give us the starting signal, I sort of just, yeah, instruct the trainers. I mean, they all know what to do. They've done it but for ages. But you just give the commands. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of officiate it. Like, I'm not a steward, but if I see something out the boxes, I report it to them. And, yeah, when everyone's ready to go, give the signal to the lure driver and off we go.
2: Do you get to push a
0: button or something? I'd get to flick a switch. Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> I get to flick a switch and wave. And then- <laughs> oh, my
3: oh
1: God. That sounds Perfect. sweaty enough as it is.
0: Well, some... Some starters have their own little signature waves. Mm. I haven't.
1: You haven't um, developed that yet.
0: No, I haven't, but I'm, I'm working on it.
1: Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, cool. I got like a royal wave kind of thing, you know, mm. I'm, I'm w- waving like a royal now that you guys can see, but the listeners can't see. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's. It. Th- let's go back to the kennels. I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. Like, tell yep. me what your role is in the kennels.
3: So,
0: what happens on race day mm. is every dog racing for that day comes in during like a 45 minute window. Yep. Where they they'll get a ticket assigning them to a kennel mm-hmm. in race bays. They go and get checked by the steward's identification. So they check their e-branding, check the microchip. They go over a scale because they have to be within a certain weight of their last race start, depending yep. on when the last start was. They get checked by the vet to make sure, you know, females aren't in heat or the dog has no crazy injuries. And then they get taken, like, escorted to their kennel, basically, where it's locked up and then not open until it comes out to race. So there's that. Then there's also a job getting dogs out for the race, like unlocking the kennels. So that's pretty much in the kennels, yeah.
1: So that avoids any tampering or any issues, that anything unethical or anything going on with the dogs, I guess?
0: It's designed to, yeah. No one has access to the dogs prior to that dog going out to race Mm. or coming back in every winner and then... At the stewards' discretion, they'll swab dogs post-race, and those dogs will be one-on-one supervised and then locked into a separate kennel, not accessed until that dog comes out to be swabbed.
1: And what are they swabbing for? For doping or anything like that? For steroid abuse or anything? Everything. Everything. There's a long yeah. Talk about that. I want to. I'm. I'm curious about that.
0: Yeah. So there's a long list of prohibited substances, and Mm. the rules basically state that you do not present a dog to race with these substances in it and in that includes things like illicit drugs steroids things like or one of the more controversial ones is a substance called cobalt which you will find in a lot of supplements like vitamin supplements so you just got to be careful avoiding that
1: what does that do what's the issue around cobalt
4: oh i couldn't tell you it's a performance enhancer
1: Georgie Harrington just piped up. <laughs> yes. tell, okay, knows. Georgie, can you tell us about it? If you, no, if,
4: I, I don't know a whole heap about it because obviously-
1: wouldn't it Tell us what you know. It,
4: but it's just a performance enhancer.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I've heard rumours that it doesn't.
0: It takes a very large volume to increase performance, but-
1: yeah, yeah, I know nothing about it, so I'm just trying to pick your brain. But there might be a listener who's listening to the show who will pipe up in the forum and say, I sure. know a lot about it and oh, give yeah. us some feedback on it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I've got to do more research as well. I'm not at the state where I'm presenting my own dogs to race yet. So Mm. obviously, you know, I've got to familiarise myself with that. But they, they do try and help you. Like if there's a very common dog food or supplement that people are using and that returns a swab, they'll put it out there. They'll be like, hey. Like, watch out because they don't want you to get caught. Well, yeah. they, don't want, they negative, don't want you to get yeah. caught.
4: They don't want you to accidentally do the wrong it's thing. It's extremely yeah. strict. But in the horse racing industry too, there's a lot of chances. I mean, across the equestrian world as well, there's a lot of instances where people have had an accidental, mm. you know, like,
3: mm.
4: you know, positive. And I think... Sometimes when people are looking at statistics, they need to take that into consideration. It can be as small as a cream that the strapper put on themselves yep. had a slight steroid, you know, based lots of creams, are steroid-based creams, mm-hmm. and then dogs' lick. yeah, or horses, mm-hmm. horses lick have and- just touched it. There's a tiny bit ingested, and that will still return a positive. Yeah. Well, I
1: guess it's not unlike when people were being breathowed for alcohol by the police. You know, some people were taking cough medication and still turning up with a positive, mm-hmm. and yet they were innocently only taking cough medication, but yet it would still indicate on a on a reading and therefore there would be some speculation about had you been drinking. People would be swearing they hadn't doing it, and yet they would find that it was involved in some types of cough medication. Mm. So same sort of thing. There had to be a public warning that if you drive under certain medications, you you may turn up with a with a reading or, you know, it may cause drowsiness and have an effect on you. So, you know, I mean, there are a list of things that are unknown to people and until they actually know about it, they, I guess that it would be the same as your industries where um, they would so obviously that, identify Well, it. you just said there's
2: interesting, Georgia. you're talking about looking at statistics because I know – from my army days there's a huge requirement for drug testing and you get a lot of failed drug tests that are because guys are taking cold and flu tablets and taking panadine for it or whatever and so you fail that test and that goes to the lab and then the lab knows oh yeah that and they report back but then that is what shows in reporting so you you can you can show two sets of statistics, right? So is that something that you encounter? Where uh, I'm sure that if you say like the horse ingested the steroid cream, they eventually figure that out, right? There's a they,
4: yes they, and no. So it depends on what it is, but um, in a lot of instances, it's just the positive is enough mm. for the rules. Yeah. Um, that that's gone. <laughs> the yeah. same uh, happens the with us. Instance. If
0: if it's an accidental, I've heard like some of the vets talk about it, and they'll The stewards will take that into consideration because they investigate every positive swab and it might have a bearing on whether you are suspended for a period of time. But if there's a fine to pay, you still have to pay it because at the end of the day, you broke that rule saying that you won't present a dog with this substance
3: and Mm. you have,
4: whether you've accidentally done it or not.
3: Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool.
4: And if you consider the amount of like animals, say in a kennels or a stables, you know, like there's horses getting certain things. It takes such a trace element of something to be transferred. Yeah. And um, a lot of the people who work in the industry, they're very careful, but a lot of them also aren't aware. Like, you know, it's hard to know every single aspect Mm -hmm. of every single medication.
1: So since we have a cross conversation going on here, Georgie, why don't you leap in now and just tell us what your history is in the racing industry I don't actually know what your I know of it from small um, conversations with um, Pat about it, but I'd like to get a little bit of insight about it and I'm sure the listeners would as well.
4: Yeah, sure. So I grew up um, in the equestrian world doing eventing dressage and show jumping. So that led me then after I left school, obviously seeking, you know, work in the horse industry. I got a job in the racing world, originally just as a stable hand, and then that turned into some track riding and then that turned into more involvement, you know, getting to make bigger decisions inside the stables. And um, yeah, and then I got out of it when I moved to Wagga to university. So, Doing what? So I'm currently studying vet.
1: So you're going to be a vet?
4: I don't want to be a vet. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the interesting thing. I just want to work in research. Awesome. So that's my. Well, oh, you goal. never know where it can lead you, right? Like yeah. once you get the qualification, then you've got
1: like another group of doorways that are open to sure. you that you can choose anything you want to do. Indeed. Yeah. Mm.
2: Um. So. What we have, let's address sort of the elephant in the podcast room (laughs) (laughs) is that greyhound racing is kind of a contentious issue. Very. Uh, We had a total ban on it in New South Wales at one point and And then it was repealed. Yeah. Mm. And I think a lot of people are very anti-greyhound racing because of perceived ethical concerns. Mm -hmm. And so... I don't have a, a horse in this race or, mm-hmm. or a dog in this fight, to, <laughs> to, to use some contentious metaphors. Yeah, yeah. I've been to the greyhound racing at Wentworth Park, mm-hmm. and I found that a lot of fun. But that's it. Yeah. Uh, so, tell us about that. Let's talk about how. What the did stigma. you What did you think of it prior to being involved, and mm-hmm. what's your opinion now being involved?
0: Sure. Well, I think what a lot of people, the general public, saw that. What happened I think it was around 2014 it wasn't just perceived cruelty it was mm-hmm. animal cruelty and not necessarily towards the greyhounds themselves mm-hmm. but other animals and everyone that I've come across agrees that that what happened was terrible
2: so it was because I mean we can talk about it it's not like it's a oh, yeah no it happened live no, baiting. <laughs> it was because footage was released really yes. of live baiting Yes. Yeah, and so that was small animals. animals
0: being tied onto a lure, well, not only that, um, but yeah, tied onto the lure, the dogs being able to chase them without our muscles on.
1: Can I just say something here? And I know this is contentious also, mm-hmm. but if you went back 30, 40 years ago, nobody would really have cared. and And well, some people may have cared, but they didn't care like they care today. You know, back then people were very rural about things and they didn't seem to mind about things. It was out of sight, out of mind. and, and you know, Well, even hang though- on, I think you hit the nail on the head there. We say out of sight, out of mind because it wasn't – you weren't
2: able to yes. show that to people. and that's why people didn't care. So people yeah. probably would have cared had they been able to yeah, have that's it fair. put in their face. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Because, you know, you would have to have had that footage. You would have had to be on the news instead of being in people's Facebook feed and, you know, getting into
1: people's eyes easier and being shared so we we didn't see things back 30 40 years ago that we see now like things that are very gruesome and macabre and ugly are more projected into our day-to-day lives so i guess that when we look at it we kind of think well that's not really right yeah. mm. you know that's actually kind of fucked up in a lot of ways so people and probably wouldn't would be
0: desensitized yeah. to it like what what happened
1: was Unacceptable. Awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah little wants, little baby wants. animals being brutalised by yes. by greyhounds, and and to be honest, it's not the greyhounds' fault. No, it's something it's they're a, bred to do. And you know, like if it was a hunting situation, and you were dependent on that dog to hunt and bring down prey for you for your survival, you'd think, well, this is a normal thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that they were tied to stakes against their will, yep. used to blood the greyhounds in, and
0: it's not a fair fight. Like, it's
1: not. If it's, you go
0: hunting, that animal can it can run, run away, free, run That's into right. the bush. Whereas yeah. There was no option. Yeah, yeah. I That's agree. I, don't- I
2: didn't think about that. Yeah. So that was that big a big part of it? Yes. I
0: couldn't tell you. I mean, I'm sure it was because, well, it's not illegal to take a pet greyhound to go hunting. Yeah. And it's not illegal to, you know, hunt pigs and rabbits and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Because it, like... You know, I put myself on the line. My mm-hmm. dog has killed rats. Yep, like, and it's just a dog behaviour in the yard when I live. My, my, my t-
0: German Shepherd has killed rats. <laughs> yeah, in the yard. And dogs and I, have killed many
4: things, and, <laughs> and that's it. Like, a,
2: no one would get upset about their dog killing a. Oh no, that's rat. not quite true. Well, there okay, are... but most people would go, "Oh well, my dog caught the rat. and No biggie." Yeah. But yep. it never occurred to me that it's it's such a big deal because the rat wasn't tied to a stake and left there to
1: be killed, right? He didn't. It's
0: it, it was very it's very manufactured natural. environment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: What you were talking about before is is a reality and it had come up a lot. Just to give you a, a little bit of information, I did a little bit of work with Greyhound's New South Wales when mm-hmm. before the band came along. So, but uh, what was the premier's name that did the band it was um, it Barry
4: Farrell Buckman
1: no, no it was, it was Mike the one Baird? after yeah Mike Baird, Baird yeah Mike okay. Baird yeah so see, was... I
0: know and I don't even live here <laughs> mm,
1: that's right but uh, yeah before, just, just as that but just prior to that coming along they started doing a group of seminars for greyhound races mm-hmm. and I went out to a few places with a couple of people which were including members of Greyhounds New South Wales and there was a vet in there as well all lovely people and what their job was to do was to try and re-educate A lot of these people who had been raised on five generations of greyhound racing. And in their mind, live baiting was something that they would normally do. So they didn't see that as... There were people there that were prepared to change and they understood that, you know, change was coming and it had to be done. But there are other people that, you know, that's what their great, 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 great grandfather did. And they didn't know any other way. But, you know, like as it was pointed out to them, this is a captive animal that has no choice. It cannot run. It cannot escape. And the reality is it's now legal. You can't do it anymore. And if you're caught doing it, you're going to be prosecuted at the highest length of the law. So you'll be made a public example of. So some people fought it and some people, you know, found it very unfair. Or I don't think they found the, the live baiting unfair. What they found was that they weren't allowed to use hides unfair. That's the thing that they really, really struggle with. What's that? With animal hides. Just normal oh, skins. Okay, yeah. Skins. Okay. So what they what they found unfair was the fact that they can only use synthetic hides from here on in. Oh, so the...
0: yeah. It, that was strange for me, mm. coming from working dogs, where one of the most common tools for playing with puppies is a leather rag. Yeah. Mm. And I can't do that with my greyhound puppies. No.
1: Anything. Mm. Anything related to the can't animal, you cannot do it.
0: Yeah,
3: it's oh, incredibly okay. true. Yeah. Mm.
2: Well, I suppose.
3: You I know, can under, I
2: understand. I develop puppies with a leather rag, but it's yeah. not that it needs to be leather. It, no. It's just because you can wet leather and it's more movable and I can make mm-hmm. it slippery and like it wouldn't matter if it was a synthetic. Yeah, leather. but you can do that for a working dog. You can't do it for a greyhound. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, mm. can we do it for a working dog? Are we? W-
0: yeah. Are we in? A lot of the rules for greyhounds is sort of self. It's
1: specific well, not, to the not greyhound industry. not self-regulated industry.
0: anymore, but. Yes, within the has its own regulations. Yeah,
1: Yeah, the greyhound industry is like its own licensing, like it's 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 its own entity. Greyhounds are kind of like horses. They're removed from the whole other spectrum of dog ownership. You know, greyhounds are still seen as like an industry specific dog Mm -hmm. that's that's got its own Mm -hmm. regulation and bubble built around it. Okay. And that's why greyhounds were muzzled for so long and and really one of the only and still are, and it's one of the only breeds apart from registered dangerous dogs that you actually have to muzzle, Mm -hmm. which people found bizarre that, you know, you could have these family-friendly pets who had never caused any problems before and would live with cats and live with other dogs yet still had to because they were racing and what they considered a blooded dog that Mm -hmm. had to be muzzled. It was just an old law that was never repealed or never fought against that people just had to... Understand if you own a, ra- mm. in a racing dog, it has to be muzzled. So
2: you were not in the industry when this happened. No, no. Right? And you've come in post. Mm-hmm. And I suppose – so you're probably not in a position to tell us exactly how it changed, but you can talk about the industry now.
0: Yeah, I was not in it when it happened, but, you know, I've heard people talk about it. And I, mm-hmm. I was able to see some of the effects of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm living them now, like the extra – regulations and stuff i'm in the process of getting my trainer's license and i've had to go and do courses which you know didn't exist prior to what happened Mm -hmm. and for a while you know like people stopped breeding for a bit because they didn't know what was going to happen like why would they keep breeding dogs if you can't race anymore Mm -hmm. so for a while when those dogs that would have been bred that during that time became of racing age We, you know, were short on numbers to fill fields because those dogs did not exist. Mm -hmm. And it's picked up again now because, I mean, obviously in New South Wales, the ban was overturned pretty quickly. Um, But yeah, like I've still seen some of the effects to this day. And it's something that, you know, we're still conscious of where we weren't really, well, I've heard, you know, they weren't really conscious of the public image beforehand. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, that's something that's in the front of everyone's mind because, you know the people there who are doing the right thing. We we want to keep existing. I mean, I love my job. I don't want to want to see it go away, but that's a possibility. You know, if we don't, you mm-hmm. know.
2: So let's just talk about training because there's the other side to the band that was that we'll talk about in a moment. But mm-hmm. let's finish training without being able to use any live animals that was traditionally used. Mm-hmm. What is the common technique? How do I get a dog to go fast? What 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 do we do?
0: It it varies so much. It varies so much. So some people will, I mean, the main focus is on fitness. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people focus on the mentality of the dog, okay. which is what I'm interested in, mm-hmm. especially in younger dogs. But yeah, like some people will.
2: So, so they rely pretty heavily on genetics, right? So oh yes, it's, it's really so. a game of like who's born the fastest. Yep. And there is not a lot of work put into how can I make this dog really want that lure And to try harder, even though he might be genetically less superior to another dog, he's willing to work harder. Is there, is there much emphasis into that? Like that's where my mind goes to from working dogs. I go like, I obviously want the best genetic dog I have, Mm -hmm. but I think genetics has a bandwidth of capability. Yes. And as a trainer, my job is to get the dog to the top of that bandwidth of capability.
0: Mm -hmm. Sort like in two ways, you know, some dogs physically are just not going to run as fast as others. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you'll, you will get some dogs that just don't want to chase or mm-hmm. they'll be running and then they think it's more fun. They'll get distracted by the other dogs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm interested in if that dog is fast, can you take it and make it more focused on the lure? Mm-hmm. There is a bit of back and forth on whether the design of the lure these days and what it looks like, you know, if this is a hunting animal and it's designed to chase animals it doesn't look so fake that you've just got dogs running for no reason. And is that why mm-hmm. there are so many dogs that don't like become successful in racing? Yeah. I mean, uh, people use flirt poles with their puppies and squeakers and stuff, but in the way that they do it, I'm not sure. And I don't know if they start it young. I don't think a lot of people do. They just sort of let the dog grow up with its littermates until they go and get broken in at a year old.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, so something that comes to mind, we had someone, uh, a, a young Malley, come to the club the other night that has been a pet and can no longer be kept as a pet and we just technically had to see how go as a working dog.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know if anyone noticed something I did. When the dog came out, I took off my hat and I just kind of threw it in front of the dog and it paid almost no attention to that. This is dog's, a dog, it's almost that I think, what did she say? It was like nine months old or something like that. Yeah. Paid no attention to my hat being thrown. It's seen that picture, seems like that a million times. And then I got a sleeve, like a Belgian sleeve, and I threw that in almost the exact same way. It's never seen a Belgian sleeve, and it lit the fuck up, right? So I reckon through selective breeding, there's a genetic component of IDing bite equipment and knowing I should bite that. Even Mm -hmm. though that dog's never done bite work before in its life, it's never seen that picture before. It knew that's something I should bite. And my hat, which was also an object moving in a similar manner, the dog paid no attention to um, so surely there's, there's something to that in the greyhound racing, right? Like it doesn't have to be – it's not just movement that you're chasing. It can be like teach it this lure looks like this now mm-hmm. and even though that looks nothing like the little animal that you think you're chasing, I can mm-hmm. teach you to chase this. Have genetic selection for that.
0: Having developed or like seen dogs be developed in prey drive for things that are not prey mm. in working dogs, that's exactly how I'm approaching training the puppies and i mean obviously there are plenty of greyhounds that do chase it just as much as prey because we have phenomenal dogs going around Mm -hmm. and they're getting better every time so i'm sure i am sure like i'm you could take a lot of those dogs and you know they pass the gap test and the small dog test and they're okay with cats because yeah they'd see they know
2: they're not chasing a tiny animal they're chasing they're playing a fun game that they enjoy to play
0: yeah And they play it seriously. There are dogs that they grab a hold of that lure and they shake it with more ferocity than I've seen dogs by helpers. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, they know it's not the animal.
2: Yeah. So it's totally hundred percent achievable.
0: Oh yeah. 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 And maybe not every dog, but in the same way that not every dog's cut out for what we do in like you guys do in PSA. Not every dog's going to make it.
2: Okay. So let's, let's put a pin in that because that's Mm. what we're about to go on to, but You would say for sure that for anyone who would then say, well, in the greyhound industry, they're all still secretly live baiting because the dogs chase the thing. You can unequivocally call bullshit on that and say, no, for sure, I've seen dogs go from zero to hero and they have 100% only ever chased that funny little lure and nothing
3: else.
0: Yeah, I can say I do not know a single person that does it and if I found out about it, I'd be putting a stop to it. And so would anyone else.
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. no one wants that sort of thing in the industry. It's, you know, same in horse racing. It's that no one wants the bad eggs in the industry with them. It's Mm -hmm. the same in bite
0: sports. If you see people doing something that's making dogs dangerous, you want them gone because that's a bad name for you. And it's the same with us. If people are doing things that are not okay, you will put a stop to it because that looks bad on all of us. Well, that's good
1: to know. That is actually a good thing to know that um, people who are, lowering the bar, are mm. driven out of the industry and the industry is bold enough and big enough to mm. stand behind To that. self-regulate. Though. And not mm.
0: not only does it make all of us look bad, but mm. we agree it
4: shouldn't be happening. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, you're ethically opposed to it. I yeah. think
4: it's an interesting thing about when, to me, when balanced dog trainers look at the racing industry and look at the bad eggs and use them as an example, saying that's every single person in the industry, mm-hmm. and yet they're the first people, the first people to Dissociate themselves from bounce trainers who are completely compulsive, Mm. you know, very unethical trainers in their opinion Mm -hmm. And they understand that in that industry, you know, of course, there's going to be bad eggs They're not fully representative, but when it comes to racing for some reason, I think Purely comes down to the fact that they're not involved with it. They don't know. Yeah, they just take it as in that's everyone
1: The funny thing going back years ago when the pit bull hysteria started in australia I was recommending to one of the breed clubs, again, I'm not going to name them, there's no point in, in outing them and having people outraged over it. But I said to them at the time, you know, we really should be getting on board with these guys and meet with the president of the pitball club and have a chat with them because I said, I know a lot of these people and their dogs and they're not what the media was making them out to be. And yet there were people at the time who were going, oh, no, look, we, we don't want to be involved with them. We just, we don't, we want to distance ourselves and we just want to keep apart from them. I said, but why? Why is that? You know, and this is the thing for all of us who are involved in animal training. And it gets back to when Pat and I've had conversations on this podcast before about the fact that we've got so many working dog clubs around in the industries who will not get together and will not unite and will not develop a union amongst each other. Why on earth won't animal trainers involved in the industry get together and say, hey, listen, we want the government out of this as much as possible because we want to self-regulate and we want to do the right thing by animals we want to be ethical and we want to toss these turds out who are doing the wrong thing creating problems for us and creating a headache because really they are and none of us there's i mean i don't i can't remember the last time i've sat at a table or sat down with a person who is pleased about animal cruelty mm. there's nobody who you just don't meet those people, and when you do, you shun them completely or you're happy to throw them to the wolves hmm. because, I mean, they really are, man, woman, or child, they're a son of a bitch if they're involved in that type of thing because it really is an awful awful, and other ethical way of living.
3: Yeah.
2: So the thing that I said we need to talk about was, uh, and it's such a horrible word, was they talked about wastage mm-hmm. in the band. Yeah. Right? So mm. what, what, what's happened with that?
0: Well, uh, we have a lot of rehoming programs like that, you know, we as an industry put money into. So the greyhound adoption program takes retired dogs or dogs that have not ever raced but are racing greyhounds or at least bred for that and we'll rehome them. Um, and all the time, GAPA saying, hey, does anyone have any dogs they want to or need to rehome because we have spaces to take them. What's so GAPA? Gap is the greyhound adoption program. Okay, yeah, that's. Okay industry run sort of thing um
2: so that's a sort of a a form of self-regulation that the greyhound mm. industry is imposing on itself to uh better itself
0: yeah and it's not uh like we can say it's self-regulated but it's government regulated really like there's people in i can speak for Curic, which is the queensland racing integrity commission they have police powers to investigate stuff there's lots of different divisions in it yeah but i know i know a lot of greyhound trainers who have plenty of retired dogs at home sitting mm-hmm. on their couch. You know, there's dogs that they don't want to par with mm-hmm. or dogs that they know won't pass the GAP program, like the small dog test. So they're like, yeah, I'll just keep it as my pet.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: There are some, you know, some dogs that get injured young before they can race. And if it's got a good pedigree, maybe they'll breed from it, might mm-hmm. produce well. But yeah, really there's not, they're not getting slaughtered, <laughs> which is what people think happens. Mm-hmm. And I...
1: Not like they used to, because they actually did used to. I mean... Oh,
0: yeah. Well, there was let's
1: the issue of that mass grave. Yeah. yeah. Not yes. just lots of them in different properties where RSPCA would go and investigate, and there were yes. incidents of horrible atrocities, you mm. know. That sort of shit is... I'm glad it's to see that that's the end of it, because, we're, I mean, we're a room of animal lovers here, yeah, and that, that's nasty stuff. It's mm.
4: interesting to see people's response, though, to wastage being that they want to ban the whole sport or ban the whole thing, because there's wastage in every single animal industry yep. mm-hmm. every single one i'm involved in many and there's wastage in them all even including in even pet dogs. in human
1: food consumption right i mean in, there's so many you know chickens cows and pigs and everything that die and yet there's so much you know like people will eat half a steak and throw it away.
4: Exactly. I mean, and even in the pet dog industry, I mean, there's pounds putting down animals because they're overfilled, mm. you know, like there's wastage, there's
1: yep. immense thing.
4: And no one's answer is to ban pets, to say yeah. no yeah. more pets mm. for anyone yeah. because we've except got this issue. Peter. Uh, except <laughs> <Yeah>. for Peter. <laughs> except yeah. for Peter. But yeah. they seem to do it for racing. They just seem to think, oh, well the answer is we get rid of the whole industry and ruin people's lives and the dog's lives. Mm. And it's, some are pretty hypocritical. You know, a lot of people
0: go on about all the dogs that need homes, but I know trainers who have 12 black greyhounds in their yard because they say, well, all the pretty colored ones get adopted. And I'm like, well, if people are out there wanting to give them a home, who cares what color the dog is? Mm. Yeah.
2: It's a weird one. The color thing.
0: Mm. I think the black ones are stunning, but yeah, we've got a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs)
2: So, Hey, When this was all happening, I had an opinion on it, but I had no, I stayed well out of, I got in one Facebook argument called a big, caused a big disaster and I was not pro greyhound racing. I just pointed out some of the hypocrisies in the banning. (laughs) I remember that. Yep. Jesus. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Anyway, I had this idea and tell me why this wouldn't work, right? The thing is with greyhounds and racing is they don't actually have to be fast. They just have to be relatively fast, right, compared to those others in the race. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I thought was maybe there was a lot of wastage is because people are trying to breed the fastest dog and therefore a large quantity of dogs will likely result in one of them being faster, right? Yep. But is there limits on breeding? Because my thought at the time was, well, if you just tell breeders that there's a cap on how many litters you can do then you're forced to work with the ones that you have and so like the greyhound like in working dogs there is wastage because we need a dog to be of a particular caliber he has to be able to work to the to the, the standard of the work and if he can't achieve that then he can't work mm-hmm. but in running fast if if the average speed in the race went from 40 kilometers an hour to 35 kilometers an hour, that wouldn't actually matter it, it's just how fast your dog is compared to the others. So if you were breeding less dogs uh, and there was a cap on the breeding, that probably wouldn't matter and there would be less wastage and the, the, the super fast dogs would be rarer and therefore, you know, win races and whatever. But why won't that work? Or is there something similar to that?
0: I straight up, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who do breed large numbers of dogs but breeding is sort of separately regulated within the industry. Like you have to be licensed to breed, Mm -hmm. but we do have ways in which we try to have more opportunities for slower dogs. So there's master's races where dogs over a certain age who can't break a certain time barrier, they go into that category. So it encourages people to not retire their dogs as soon as they start slowing down. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have other, Like pathways racing. And people
2: still bet on that. that, Yep. Yeah, right.
0: Same prize money. Same prize money. I mean, we don't have big group races at that level, Mm -hmm. but there's graded
4: races at that level. And then, yeah, I think recently. That's cool. I had no idea about that. I think people don't understand that in horse racing too, like there's different levels, like a country picnic race. Mm. Like that's not going to be winks out there, you know, like yeah. it's, you know, and they say, Oh, if it's not fast enough. And it's like, well, if it's not fast enough for, you know, Chris Waller, it's getting sold to mm. a country trainer and if it's not fast enough for, you know, a country or provincial trainer, it's getting sold to a picnic trainer who does it as a hobby, who enjoys mm. it. And then after that, it's most likely going into the equestrian world eventing showing
2: yeah, we and so the there is prize thing. money involved in those yep. things oh, yeah. and, and betting involved yep. in those things. Yep. So you have got bet. country
0: tracks as well. You've got city tracks like Wentworth Park and then you have country tracks like in Lismore, mm. you know, and the, the calibre of dog that, I mean, I'm not going to say that no good dogs race at the country tracks, but most commonly you, the faster dogs will be in the city races because you can get more money for winning those sorts of races, but okay. there are opportunities out there. For those dogs and those people who just have, like, there's a lot of people in the industry who just do it as a hobby and they'll have one or two dogs just in their backyard and they can rock up to the track and put them around. Mm -hmm. And, yeah.
2: And so let's talk about that. So I've had friends that, well, so guys I was in the army with, they all put in and bought this this horse. (laughs) His name was, his name was a violent reaction. And, uh, they did it just purely so they could go to the races and say to chicks, we own that horse, but it never qualified for anything. Um, <laughs> but so you can own a dog. Like the, my understanding is that a lot of people own a greyhound and have perhaps never even seen it. And it goes to the, the trainer, raises it, keeps it, does everything. Mm-hmm. And then there's a split on the prize money. Yep. Um, and th- so the trainer gets paid a salary or do they just take prize money? Or is-
0: It depends on the agreement you have with the trainer. Mm-hmm. So I know trainers who don't even charge anything to keep the dog there and train it, but they'll take – you know a larger percentage of the prize money, although it's up to how the owners want to do it with that trainer or how that trainer likes to do it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and And what's the legality of betting on your own on own dog? Can you do that? Yeah. so trainers can bet, can yep. and do bet. Yep. Right. And so if- that would be a large part of their income. They know they've got a good dog and
0: maybe. Right, uh, like some trainers are superstitious about it. And they'll right. never bet on their own dog. Uh-huh. Other some? train,
1: you yeah. mean many <laughs> superstitions, huge in the racing world.
0: Oh, it is. Don't mm. wear green to the racetrack. Yep, yep.
1: Mm.
0: Um, but yeah, if if you know there's a smart, like a, you've got a fast young dog coming up, and other people haven't seen that dog. Mm. But again,
2: and that's legal, so that that's yep, good to yep. go. Because yeah, I know, yep. like, a common practice would be. I know he's fast. No one's seen him race yet. He's got pretty medium odds because yep. no one knows what's coming out. I've got a good feeling about it. Uh, I put a, a lot of money on that dog and, yep. and he goes through. And that's legit. That's 100% good to yeah. go.
4: In horses, jockeys can't bet, just to make that good to yeah, everyone. Yeah, I guess because they are. <laughs> yeah, in they have an of, influence into yeah. the outcome of the race. You yeah, know, and, they could and
0: technically pull up on As walk. a staff member, I can't bet on what is on the races that I'm working at right. for similar reasons. You know, I'm around the dogs. I might be locking up the swab dog. Mm-hmm. Don't want me to have, I guess, a monetary and, involvement in that, yeah.
2: And and I suppose someone like you, if you – these people that are locking up the dogs, like mm-hmm. I imagine even just feeding a dog before a race would impact how we would it run. Right? So that's why there's this quarantine type thing like where they're locked up and you who have access to them then can't bet on that race.
0: Yeah. But hmm. I mean, it happens like I've seen dogs come back after a race and they throw up what looks like a whole meal, obviously, because they've just run really fast. Mm-hmm. And it's not, the trainer might not have done that on purpose. Like they might've been out for the morning and they've got someone else that comes in and they accidentally feed that dog. So, I mean, yeah, there's no rules on not feeding your dog before the race. But obviously if you're consistently pulling up a dog, people are going to find out about it. Mm-hmm. If there's a huge fluctuation between the odds your dog's running at and how it performs, there's an inquiry. The stewards will ask questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Or that dog will get vetted or sent to, if there's nothing wrong with the dog, it'll get swabbed.
4: Yeah. The stewards have a really important role, I think, that people don't understand. They have such a lot of power. And if, for instance, I can only speak about horses, but if a horse races badly against what they predicted it would waste, like, there's questions asked of the trainer, mm-hmm. there's, you know, questions asked to the jockey, you know, it's looked at quite heavily. So there's a
1: full inquiry at yeah, that stage. Yeah, there's,
4: there's a lot mm. of, you know, very strict, strict rules. I mm. can't think of any industry where there is that many. Strict, well, because people are putting a lot of money, money. on the line. Yeah, yeah of it, course, Yeah, yes. And
1: when money starts to – when there, well, when there's the transition of money, obviously it's going to raise questions.
4: Yeah. yeah, and I think that's I, important for people to understand that because it is – so tightly sort of policed mm. you could say that anything that does come out is probably like things are hard to keep under wraps for long. Yep. So when more get investigated and added to statistics of being, you know, like there's this many that were have made, you know, pulled out for doing the wrong thing, you know, it's that's not going to happen in other industries. They're going to look better because they aren't as heavily policed. Mm. So therefore it's less likely that stuff is going to come out into the open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. Statistics are a funny one as well. Like a lot of
0: people Mm. like to talk about how many dogs get sent to the vet after a race. Uh But we'll vet dogs for anything and everything that looks a bit suspicious. So dogs will go to the vet for having a split a toenail because they're limping on the way back. And so obviously those bump up our statistics, but the dog is not they might not be set out from racing for any period of time because mm-hmm. they're okay. We're just making sure like we do the best that we can to make sure the dogs are okay. That's
2: an interesting one. I mean, I've heard you talk about that in the past, that those statistics are used against the industry to show mm-hmm. like, God, look how many dogs they send to the vet, but it's because of the high duty of care, high mm-hmm. level of care that dogs are being checked over
1: for minor nothing. And these yeah. dogs
0: see the vet more times in a month than a pet dog would in their life. Yeah, I'm
1: going to chime in on that because 30 years ago when I was back in Melbourne, I started my career in training dogs. I used to take my dog down to a local swimming pool, which is a greyhound swimming pool. And I learned a great deal about canine nutrition and care from the greyhound breeders. And I don't think I met people who were so predominantly caring and thoughtful about the welfare of their dogs. Not only were they interested in the fact that they wanted to make these dogs run fast and wind, but they actually the the people that I knew, the people that I was interacting with, and i'm I know that the, this varies, and people are going to listen to this and saying, yeah, but they 're not all like that, and we all understand that because not all people are the same, but the people that I knew back then were absolutely. Fastidious about the way their dogs were cared for, the way their dogs were run, the, the way their dogs were managed, They, the, you know, the regime of what was done on a day-to-day basis. And like I said, I credit what I knew back then and I had a very advantageous ethical standpoint on, on canine nutrition because of the greyhound people that I was being educated by back in the day. So I can only say from what I know by experience that these people were – considerably advanced on most other people who cared for their dogs they weighed everything they Mm -hmm. checked the food they supplemented their dogs things that people find very informative and necessary today which is very much a big part of a program of just a domestic dog food people doing these this you know 30, 40, 50 years ago in greyhound management and racing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I know that they, you know, anything that they think is out of the ordinary, they take the dog to the vet. They get the dog checked. They were taking their dog for massages. You know, there was a whole range of things that they did well and truly above and Mm. beyond what most other people would think is normal for a dog. There's things I've
0: picked up where I think, oh, why don't I do that with my dog before, Mm. you know, we go out for a training session and what she's doing physically does not even compare to what a greyhound goes through. And it's one thing I don't understand when people try to infer that these dogs are mistreated. Like that dog is an athlete. It's not going to come out and perform that well.
1: They've got jackets on. it's not treated well. They're massaged. You know, there was a guy in in Melbourne, a, a legend called George Schofield, he was a self-taught animal manipulator
3: mm, you've and, talked about him yeah before.
1: fantastic guy like his son peter i think his name is peter Schofield. he's taken over the business for his dad but uh, george used to i i learned about him from the greyhound people and some of the people that i was in in the animal world at the time but george was predominantly a guy that would help fix ligaments in dogs like anyone had a banged up dog before you took it to the vet, you'd go down and see George Schofield. And even my vet, back, back in the day, he would say, oh, you, you know, go and take your dog to see George. He needs a he needs a rub down or he needs his ligaments flicked back into shape. And you'd take him down there and George would sit there and he'd like crack the dog or he'd pull something out of its back. And sure enough, after a bit of liniment and everything, uh, and a couple of days rest, dog was walking fine. And I learned about these type of things from the greyhound industry.
0: There's some people that are, oh, I could only hope to learn half as much. Mm, they can agree. palpate the dog yep. and feel every layer, every muscle, and be able to tell you oh, I can tell that this dog's had this injury in the past where it might have been months or even years ago. Mm. They're just that proficient at feeling and knowing well, what's gone on.
2: There was a fantastic video that got around on Facebook a while ago of a guy showing his warm up for his dog. You remember that one with the yeah, greyhound? Sorry. He stands there and he like just shows. It was quite a, actually very in depth and fucking really lifting good. its legs and stretching yeah, the dog and stretching out and, it out yeah. and getting it, it over yeah and it was just the, the the daily routine it was an instructional video on what he does and i immediately was like oh, i'm gonna go do that with my dog I nearly got fucking bitten <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like yeah,
4: you can see the bond also that the train has built with this yeah. dog i know the video you know to have a dog that's that willing to be handled and stay there and absolutely loving it yeah mm-hmm. you know and you hear people say oh they're mistreated they don't get attention and it's like which of us can say that we do that with our dog twice a day every day? Yeah. I don't. That's it. I saw something the other day saying, you know, people
0: will go on about how fantastic they are as pets and also at the same time slag the industry. And they're like these dogs don't make such great great pets in spite of what's happened to them. Mm. They make great pets because of how they're treated and how mm. they're
2: raised. That's the interesting that's point. That's a good Geto. point.
0: You know, we see it all the take time. That. Genetic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can't remember where I saw it, so I can't, I can't take the credit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we know that things are equal parts genetics and equal parts how a dog's raised. Mm. So you can't say, well, they all make such great pets just because of genetics, even though they've been treated so poorly. Mm-hmm. Like, no, they, they wouldn't.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I always like to talk about. It. I heard Chad Mackin say it, and maybe he got it from someone else. I can't remember, but I'll credit him. Uh, what contributes more to the dog, the the genetics or the training? Is like saying what contributes more to the area of a rectangle, the length or the width? Yeah, right. Yeah, both uh, super important, and uh, I, I feel like. Certainly, I'm excited at the idea of the greyhound industry putting more focus on training and making up for if there is less dogs bred, or there's more restrictions, mm-hmm. or they have to change genetics. That that training can take over that role, mm. and you can still have a, a, a product that you're happy with, without the wastage and without unethical training.
0: Yeah, and also without the disappointment. Like I know a lot of very fast dogs who can't race anymore because they'll stop chasing at a particular point on a track because they've been bumped or they have fallen.
3: Mm. And that's fair
0: enough. Like the dog is now scared of that area and just switches off. And if you could bring half those dogs back with a bit of training or when they're younger,
4: making them more mentally tough towards mm-hmm. things, that could could be huge. Get that box mm. on the track there. And is the strictness the of the industry, mm-hmm. I think, sometimes works against the wastage, um, at least in horses. Because, for instance, like – there's only so many warnings that you can get with a horse for like pre-race behavior. And a lot of that pre-race behavior comes from the fact that the animal is so pumped up to go do what it loves to do. Mm. You know, like it's like hold like dogs before bite work, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone. That's a
1: critical point, right? Yeah. Like Mm. some
4: people have big issues putting control on their dog before bite work, you know, because the dog is so excited to go do what it loves to do and you get the same with, you know, any racing animal so it gets a warning and then it gets banned because of its, you know. Because it's so, so
1: good at what it wants yeah, to do. Yeah, well,
4: <laughs> because it just wants to do it. It may not even be good. It yeah, just yeah, yeah. really wants to go do it's it. It's like kids
1: who love playing sport, right? Yeah. You know, like Dave, my boss, his younger son, Jake, he just loves playing sport. And for him not to play sport, not to play rugby is like incredible punishment for him. Mm. You know, like Every time we're in a meeting or something like that, Jake's ringing about three o'clock saying to his dad, you know, can we go down the nets and play cricket or something like that? He's he's absolutely chafing at the bit to go and play sports. It's sort of calling in his DNA. He just wants to do it, you know, and it you see that we've just come from a seminar. We've been watching dogs that uh, and we've been doing this for years anyway. We watch dogs that just thrive in what they want to do they understand it, their DNA just beckons for it and it's kind of cruel not to let them do it and yet people around the world are thinking that they know best about horses and dogs and everything like that and yet, I think you said it, Pat, you know, one of the things that keeps you up at night is thinking about dogs who are not fulfilling their biological reason for living. I find myself upset at the idea about how many athletes
2: are locked in a yard professionally turning food into shit. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Very much agree. I think people's idea of the, they like to infer what they wish they could do, which is sit home all day, do nothing. But if you look at a person who does that, that's a depressed person,
3: mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. but they seem yeah, to want that for
4: their pet. They want it to sit there, have no purpose, have no meaning, do nothing, but get loved on. And I think it's very much a reflection of maybe something that they're missing in their life or they're, you know, misfulfilled. And they put that onto animals and think that's the ideal life for an animal.
1: And yet when the, that and same dog nails them for being depressed and out of its mind in the backyard, they're the first one to go and put the dog down.
4: Exactly. And it's yeah. like that's not an ideal life. Like the, if your life has no real meaning and purpose and excitement and things that, you know, like we've bred these dogs, these horses, these animals for so long to have these genetics, to do this job, to love it. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, I no, know, like, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the old yes. Tears for
1: fears song Mad World. Mm. Yeah. It is a it's a mad world when you think about that when people have got it so wrong and yet they have such a, a salient voice in the industry and cause so much controversy. But you see that everywhere. I mean yeah, I had yeah. a I had a client
2: just recently, and I don't want to speak ill of her because she didn't understand, but you know, she had two aggressive, problematic dogs. And she said that she was uncomfortable with the way I keep my dogs because I had to take my dogs to use as, you know, what do you call it? Like stooge dogs to help train her dogs. And they were in my van for three hours while we were there. And she was like, I'm uncomfortable with the way you keep your dogs. And I was like, lady, I'm not the one with two fucking aggressive dogs that are causing problems in the neighborhood, right? I'm the one with the dog that is happily getting in and out of the box when I need it to perform the work for your problematic dogs. And like, let's be realistic about what is good for a dog and what is not like if you knew you wouldn't be in this situation. And that's, I think the issue is you see a lot of people who really are well-meaning, like really, you know, she, she's not a, she's not a unintelligent person and was very well-meaning, but didn't understand what was actually good for her dogs and doesn't understand what's actually good for my dogs. And I think that's the same looking at when you see people, from the outside looking into greyhound racing. Like I said, I'm not a supporter of it, but I'm not opposed to it. I don't really have – I don't have a position on it. Mm. Um, but I, I what I am really vehemently opposed to is the government telling me
1: what I can and can't do with my dogs. I've got to – All right, I'm going to jump in on that one. I think we make a lot of excuses for well-meaning people all the time. And the old saying is the highway to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. And it's very much so with a lot of the people in your industry, Jetta, and your industry, Georgie, and in our industry as well. I mean, they are nice people. I get it. They do mean well. But they fuck the industry up too because they don't have an education and they speak about things that they really have no right to speak about. Mm. Yet because – we're now living in this politically correct world where stupid people haven't have a voice. Well, not stupid people, just uneducated, uninvolved. Yeah, yeah, okay, I retract. That's probably more. Full of retractions, to say. This <laughs> is. yeah. <I> know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is crazy. It's sad to see that rather than learn about it properly, like saying, "Okay, it makes me feel uncomfortable," and there's things that I feel uncomfortable with things I see first. But I've kind of educated myself to ask questions about it first. Like, and this is, again, this is why we do the podcast to talk to people about things and try and get a bit of an education about things and, and try and learn a little bit more rather than just have an opinion on everything. So I ha- I've had opinions on things before and I've been wrong and I've been schooled about it and rightfully so. So I think. It's disappointing, still, in this day and age, when we have access to so much information and so broadly available, that people still yet choose to ignore that the fact that they could probably pick up their phone, Google something, and have a look at. I mean, I know there's a lot of shit information there too, so you know you can, that that can be a little bit of a minefield. But more often than not, you can Google something, you can get on there, and you can you can reach out to people quite easily anywhere around the world and say, "Hey, I just seen this. Makes me feel uneasy." What do you think are the realities around it? And can we talk about it before I get on the internet and just, you know, develop a group full of outraged citizens that constantly call for bans?
0: And I try and invite people, like if I'm talking to somebody online and they don't seem 100% anti, because some people you know are never going to change their opinion. But if they seem reasonable and they're local, I'm like, come down to the track. I'll introduce you to trainers. You can meet some dogs. Because the only opinions I have were formed from being involved. Mm -hmm. And I know it's hard to, like, I don't blame anyone for seeing something negative and being like, Oh, I like dogs. They must mistreat their dogs. Mm -hmm. That's bad. I mean, I'd, I'd feel the same way I did when that stuff came out and I didn't know any better. Mm. I thought it was terrible. And it was, um, but you know, I've since learned more and, I encourage people to go out and see it because you you will. You'll see, you'll meet people who love their dogs and dogs who are happy being there. How many of
1: those people turn up?
0: None. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. can guarantee none. that's
1: right. I was
2: at, you know what people call it? The dish lickers, right? I was at the dish lickers one night on a Saturday night. What's that?
0: Have you ever heard that before? No, I haven't. Have you heard that before? Am I making this up? I think you might be making it up. No, (laughs) Joy, back me up. You've never heard Greyhound Racing called the Dish Lickers? No.
2: Oh, my God. I'm definitely not making that up. Anyway, we're at the Dish Lickers, which is Greyhound Racing on Saturday night at Wentworth Park, right? Mm-hmm, right? And I think we'd been at the races all day, so we'd been drinking all day, and we're like, "Not enough gambling. We need to go. We need <laughs> I'm to go Google somewhere this While we're
1: talking,
3: yeah, check it out.
2: And I Can remember, you, uh,
0: pull that up, Jamie. Is I, yeah, pull it up, Jamie. <laughs> Make sure you say dish liquors.
2: I remember. Being at the the dogs and one of the dogs didn't get closed in at the end, he somehow managed to escape. Oh, that and has he happened went, to me so many And times. he went back around and got the lure because it was just sitting there and yep. he grabbed it and he had just performed mediocrely in the race. Like he wasn't a winner. Mm-hmm. And you've never seen such a happy dog. And the crowd, everyone was cheering and carrying on. It was the <laughs> funniest thing. And, you know, the trainer came out and was like clearly embarrassed and upset, but it wasn't like, you know, there was this feel of like ah well he's a dog you know yeah. like he had a good time and
0: it's very it was very refreshing going into the greyhound industry because I I guess I have worked with pet dogs before I used to have a dog walking and pet minding business and you know I saw a lot of things that frustrate a lot of us about pet mm-hmm. ownership and that sort of thing but yeah it's full of people who understand that their dogs are dogs mm-hmm. and they're not people. They're yeah. animals,
4: and they'll enjoy what they enjoy, and you can't change that. Yeah, and yeah. they let them enjoy that, like because mm. so many just want to like take that elements that make it the animal, that make it the thing we love. Yeah, and they want to expunge every bit of that until they have this meek, weak individual who can't cope with life, and then that's that seems to be their goal. That's the animal that they. That's love. what they're happy with. And yeah. I will say. You, racing is
0: not the only thing a greyhound can do to biologically fulfill themselves. Like a lot of people go lure coursing or you can, I guess people Well, I people think the problem was in that ban that. that
2: covered lure coursing. So in, in that- the
0: In the States, I think it did. Yeah, I think yeah. in the recent Florida. Florida, any timed animal events. So yeah. agility could yeah. have been
4: banned. But, but I think they then included wagering on it. Yeah. As part of it. Right, okay. But I guess my weird thing is I would love for one day for dog sports to be where horse racing is
3: Mm -hmm. or greyhound Mm
4: -hmm. racing. I would absolutely love if I could make my whole living out of being a trainer for, say, a trainer for PSA.
2: Wouldn't and we all, join? I, yeah,
4: and <laughs> that I have a kennel full of dogs and people come watch and people bet on it, that would be great. Well, I guess, like, people say, you know,
0: if there's money involved, like if these people love their dogs for who they are, why wouldn't they do it even if you made no money? And, you know, that's a fair point, but if, if we can and we can all benefit from that, you know, like people have built their whole lives and whole businesses and been quite lucrative – Around that, you take the the ability to make money away.
1: Hey, let's be let's be clear about something. People make a lot of money out of breeding pet dogs. Yep. So yeah. let's not let's not talk about the racing industry like it's a bad thing. When people have gotten fat off breeding puppies and kittens, that is yep. true. And I've pet not, dog trainers
4: that. make money off pet dogs. Yep. And mm. they seem to go, oh, but you shouldn't make money off greyhounds. And right. it's like, mm. Mm. or how many terrible trainers charge hundreds of dollars for?
1: Mediocre train. Okay, everyone, stop talking for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Pat's right. Yes. Okay. It's in the urban dictionary. It says Australian slang for racing greyhounds. A reference. To the fact that the dogs will lick their food bowl dish clean after a meal, dish lickers. Got it. I get it. Yeah, it's
0: cute. Yeah,
1: he nailed it. Yeah, the yep. amount of people that I know who are gonna shame on you girls. And you be girls like, are in the I can't believe and you've never Pat heard knew more that. about yeah. dish lickers than you did. <laughs> yeah, oh,
0: there's a lot of people that know more than I do. About
1: <laughs> yes. the <other> dish lickers.
2: <laughs> well, I'm glad that we've had this talk. I think that it's good because I know you. I know that you're not involved in any fuckery, and you don't. You're not hiding anything, and it's interesting to me how many people who are in the dogs, sp- the dog industry, and compete in some other dog sport, mm. or are interested in, you know, using dogs for a purpose, but are so vehemently against greyhound racing, mm. and that is of interest to me. You know, mm. uh, I, I wonder how they got to that point. And I'm glad to hear that you can, you have the capacity to invite people down to the track and see behind the curtain and see like, hey, this is what's really happening here. Mm.
0: And there's a lot going on and we try to be as open as we can about it. I mean, things happen. There's a lot of downsides to everything, but overwhelmingly it's positive. And yeah, like anyone go down to a track and talk to trainers and you will learn a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. Learn a lot. And I guess it's the same in horse racing, right? Like horses do die in races. Yeah, Definitely. And, but usually that's, like, from exerting themselves, right? And how much – there can be injuries, I suppose,
3: on Yeah, the, on, I think the um,
4: people need to understand that a lot of people seem to get the idea that they're put down when a horse does injure itself severely. They're put down because, you know, because they can no longer make money. Well, that's not the reality. They are mm. put down because, like, the limb injuries are catastrophic to the animal. Mm-hmm. You cannot have a horse off its feet. You put it in slings. You can put it in slings and stuff, but it's cruel it is 100% cruel to repair those catastrophic injuries and the horses don't make it. Yeah, you know, right. people try it and people try it and people try it. But what it. people don't realise is the amount of horses that that
0: happens to on a racetrack yep. is so small, small
4: compared to, you know, the amount of horses that injure themselves in a paddock. Yeah, exactly. Like I've had more horses die in the paddock just being horses, mm. going for a run round than I've had ever die on track. Yeah. You know, like... They don't. They are, of course, any athletic activity comes with risks. Mm. For people, for animals, bite work, it comes with risks. Agility comes with risks. Everything every single does. Of course. But it's yeah. like, will you stop? Driving a
1: car comes with risks.
4: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you stop this animal who absolutely loves what it does? Yeah. Whose every genetics is screaming for it to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And do you say, oh, because there is a risk involved, you cannot do that. And it's mm-hmm. like, it has that risk in the paddock. Like you can run around and it can break a leg. Yeah. And I think unfortunately- That's a good
1: point, Georgie. That's a really, really good point.
4: I, yeah. I, I think unfortunately I, the Melbourne Cup has had- Lately there's been quite a few injuries. And obviously being the biggest race, people seem to think that's a normal race. Yeah, they rate think rate that's of,
2: representative of every day. Yeah,
4: and it's not at all. It's 100% not. I think the Melbourne Cup, It's a, it is a long race and it's a big field. And if you look at- <laughs> There's a few horses included in the statistics that really shouldn't. I mean, one was injured because it got spooked after the race. You know, it came off the track perfectly fine. It got spooked by some idiot, you know, in the crowd. And
0: that caused its death. And people don't realise the number. Like, the track that I'm at is, I think, the biggest, if not one of the most, like, busiest tracks. I see dogs race. I think we have four race meetings a week and two trial sessions. And so I see Almost a thousand dogs run around that circle every week and the amount of severe injuries I could count on two hands yeah and that's well in a year what over 50,000 dogs run around. yeah you,
2: you can go to any vet you like now and find dogs with broken legs that cause that in their backyard jumping mm. over the fence. Yeah. My, my dog's got a torn ACL that he did jumping over the fence yeah like by himself because he wanted to be on the other side of it and
0: I want to say big credit to racing Queensland I'm not sure. How it goes in other states, but we've bought in a rebate scheme where if your dog has a career-ending injury on the track, um, obviously with some exceptions, they will they will rebate uh, like a percentage of the cost of you getting that dog surgically fixed and then rehoming it into a pet home. Oh, that's
2: cool. Yeah, mm, that's a good idea. And we
0: we try and push that. You know, every time there even looks like there might be an injury you know, people come down from the office of paperwork because we we like the dogs. We love dogs. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. You know, there's a thing to be said for Donald Trump when he calls out people for fake news because I think in a lot of situations there's a lot of fake news about Animal injury. We just Lee.
4: lost all the Democrats.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just was Do I work. have to say I'm are not a Trump supporter? To, <laughs> are you about to quote Donald Trump? No,
1: no. Well done, good. Well, I'm talking about fake news because, I mean, fake news is is the bane for all of us. There's animal. a very
0: cute greyhound called Fake News, by the way. Well, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah, good. And I'm telling you this
2: podcast could be huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's move
1: on from that.
0: Uh- <laughs> I finished my point. It's true. It's or oh, not even fake news, just misrepresented.
1: Yeah, but it is misrepresented. Yes. I mean, and it's even, you know, I don't want to bag out and call out the vets as well because I mean, the vets carry on about these type of things. Genuine acts of cruelty. I have no problem of anyone getting taken down for that. Like if yeah. you treat an, you know, like a a guinea pig or a little mouse or anything like that or. A, Kitten, or a dog or a horse or a pig or whatever and you're a cruel bastard to that animal well so be it you know you need you need the full length of the law coming down on you but there's a lot of instances where you know like it's the thing that we've been saying many many times if you go looking for ugly you'll find it mm-hmm. you know and that's what these people do but you ban racing in any, fam- it, well, any type of competitive sports or anything like that. There'll be something else, which is the poster child, which somebody else will start coming after. It's the same with the pit bulls. You ban all the pit bulls, you wipe them off the face of the earth, then they'll come after some other dogs. And in my mind, it'll probably be something like males. You know, the male will be become... At, at some stage, the male, and male will become the next pit bull. You know, it's, it's inevitable for that to happen because now they're starting to become popular as pets and that's horrible that worries me that when people are starting to take these dogs on as pets where they you know like you've got a dog that's got all this enormous agility and i love males don't don't get me wrong it's not, not my breed of dog but i really appreciate a good male but well it can only go in two directions and we have examples of both yeah we
2: have uh it becomes a, a dangerous issue that you see with people's and yep. people with dogs that they really have no business owning. Or the breed gets watered down to the point where it's very, it's almost impossible to find a working one. We see that with GSDs. Yep. And so it's the yeah. only two directions it can go. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Roddy's is the same as and well. And I think
4: people aren't sure what to do. When, they, when they're presented with an issue, like, you know, in racing, say so there are issues, of course, like every industry has issues. Instead of banning it, I really think people who want to do something, I think they feel that the only thing they can do is support bans. But that's not the case. You can get involved. You can start doing research into proving the wealth, improving the welfare. And that's what matters. Like we're not here to give animals the same life of people because animals don't want that. And <laughs> I don't know any animal, that, you know, would want the damn responsibility mm. that comes mm. along with being I, I a saw human. something
1: about that on primates the other day where, you know, like primates don't enjoy being kept as pets or anything like that. And, you know, those who who are, they just don't like the way that humans are treating them and trying to yeah. raise them and mm. turning them into something they weren't designed to be. My
4: favourite quote is um, equal rights means equal responsibilities. Mm. So when we talk about animals, they can't fulfil the equal responsibilities. So instead of talking about animal rights, we really have to talk about animal welfare and how to improve welfare. And you don't do that by banning anything. You do that by doing research, by getting involved, by making guidelines, you know, educating people. That's how you improve welfare. And I obviously wasn't a part of the industry before
0: everything happened, but almost everybody that I know was involved in it before that happened. And everyone I know has high welfare standards for their animals. Mm. And so do the vets and so do the stewards. Um, I think there was a big shake-up in how it's regulated and maybe sometimes it's gone too far, like not being able to use hides. But I think overall... We Like I'll take that as, okay, I'll do something else if overall the industry is a bit cleaner than it was.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I just want to leap back to something that you were talking about before, Georgie, with horses in paddocks and so forth. There was an ethical debate going around a while ago, and it was around the debate of electronics and animal training. And then somebody said, yeah, stupid people who have electric fences on their horses. And I said, have you seen what happens to horses when people don't use electric fences? Have you seen the horrific gashes and cuts and maiming that a horse will do to itself? you might as well say stupid fences, we shouldn't have fences. And then you would have horses running into traffic and getting mowed down by B-doubles on the road or even running through your window while you and your children are going about your daily business and if, and someone's pet horse comes flying through your window. I said, let's not be insane about this. The horse touches the fence two times and then it goes, you know what? I'm not touching that fence anymore. Exactly. I'll just mm-hmm. stay in the paddock and I won't gash my leg open and strip myself down like Swiss cheese all down my leg.
4: Yeah, and my you horses know. aren't, they're not scared of the fence. They're not traumatized they just by know. the fence. Don't, they will don't mess walk with the fence. perfectly through it. They just know They'll don't They'll even eat that.
1: grass over the top of it. Like they know how to function around the fence. They develop a lifestyle and an understanding of how the fence works. And they go, I can live in harmony with the fence. I just don't touch it and it never affects me. Two spanks by the fence and they never yeah. touch it again. It
4: relates really well to dog training because when I'm trying to explain things to people, I'm like, the fence is clarity. There is massive clarity in it and it doesn't traumatize the animal because Saves there it. is clarity. Mm. It's not the fact that it's a harsh, it is a harsh correction of electric fence. Yeah, I've two one stuck them. But it's not the fact that it's a harsh correction that makes it – the reason why it's great is because it's clear. So it's not the problem that there's a harsh correction. The, pro- the problem that people have in training then is when they remove that clarity, it no longer becomes ethical because the animal doesn't know how to avoid yeah, it. Yeah,
2: we, we've actually talked about the, uh, exactly this on the show and that people who use, say, a hidden fence with their dog, everybody's in a rush to not have to wear the collar anymore because they want the like – And even the electric fence for a dog as well. Everybody with a dog wants to prove... Look, it's not even turned on. Look, he doesn't even use it. And because it's not even turned on, it's not consistent and the clarity goes away. And yeah. then it is a problem. Mm. But in the horse world, no one fucking does that. Everybody knows, no, you leave the fence on. <laughs> yeah. And then the horse always has the – it's
1: clear. It, the fence is always if on. If I ever accidentally touch it, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that fence, that reminder. It spanks me, I don't touch it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and,
2: and I, I see that in dogs all the time. People always want to brag – Oh, we don't even turn it on anymore. Or oh, he doesn't even wear the collar anymore, and all that
1: sort of shit. Where's your and pet dog today? Oh, he ran in front of a car.
2: Yeah, but it's that like, mm. well, I'm like you're taking the risk. Like if you were willing to do it in the past, if he really doesn't, if he really doesn't need it anymore, there should be no problem using it mm. because yeah. it it's not going to happen. But. I what I not that I'm super involved in the horse but I, I see horse people. They, I never see anybody brag that their electric fence ain't turned on. No. It's always turned on, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, because I know there's there's a severe consequence for it not being. And I'm not talking about the electric shock. I'm talking about the horse going through the fence or, or cutting itself to pieces
1: or ending up on the road and blah 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 blah.
2: <sighs>
1: yeah, it's 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 traumatic that you even. I mean, my brain hurts having these conversations you know but it's it's not just having this conversation now it's like 20 years of having these conversations with people and you'll talk to so many people and they go yeah i understand it but there's still such a large movement of people out there who just and you know it's a new generation of another group of kids that have grown up and then they take on the mantle of all this extreme it it's the extremities around it like mm-hmm. it's extremities in religion it's extremities in anything i mean extreme thinking people are just Fucking painful people to be around mm. because they're not, they, they don't relent and they don't want to stop and think about things. They've got a mandate and a mantra that they're used, used to staying on top mm. of.
4: Their belief becomes their identity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And right. When that happens, mm.
4: they can't lose. They can't ever change that belief because then that's changing their identity and they can't stand behind it. So they won't.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hey, let's wrap it up. Yeah. We're all getting tired. We're
4: getting, it's very we're late. Getting,
1: <laughs> getting a bit ranty. Yep. Yeah.
2: Alright, hey girls, thank you for coming on
0: That's all right. thank Uh, you for having us
2: Jetta, do you you still do your walking training business? No, No, I don't So people shouldn't bother getting in contact with you No, please
0: don't, I don't have the time (laughs) (laughs) If you've got any uh, greyhounds you want me to raise for you, I can do that But Mm -hmm. apart from that,
2: no (laughs) Uh, Okay, so look Jetta up
0: Mm, Yeah, eventually, when I get
4: my licence right. when you get your licence,
2: let us know and we'll give you a plug Uh, Georgie, what are you doing? Can Um, we plug you in any way?
4: Not really I have a so, Facebook page, I just never post on it. Um, so
2: so Georgie's people...
4: a very good dog trainer and she does train other people's dogs. Where can we find you? Yeah. But no, because I just do not have any time.
3: Okay. okay. I right,
4: at the moment there is no unless it's developing a dog for something, a working dog application that interests me. No. <laughs> <laughs> do not ring me about your pet dog that pulls on a lead.
2: Yep. And I'm pretty excited about PSA trial coming up. Yeah. Um I'm looking forward to competing against you again. Although we're in different <laughs> yeah, levels. Yeah, we're in different so. levels now. But I feel like maybe if you pass the one on Saturday, you could have a crack at the two on the Sunday.
4: Yeah, I think we'll my dog needs to have <laughs> trained a little bit more before then. But maybe We well,
2: got a month. <laughs> we'll see it. <ya. laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you both for coming on. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Uh, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Uh, three bucks a month gets you access to an good extra stuff. episode a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good stuff. <laughs> well. So you say. So you say. <laughs> ten bucks a month.
4: Secret is stuff that people
1: only. Only.
4: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And as your first ever Patreon,
2: that's actually right. You were mm-hmm. our first ever Patreon, and you were an overpayer right from the start. You were in the ten dollar thing, even though we we're Thank asking you, for three. Thank you, Georgie. Thank you very you were much. You're the best. No worries. Yeah. I'm
4: just um, gonna what hide What
2: about in the you, Jetter? Where's your? Oh, uh, mm. Is Jetta
1: uh, not a Patreon what? member? I'm not. Where's your right. Patreon
2: pinch? Glenn, dump this episode. When get I, rid of. I'm her. flushing it. Get rid of her. Yeah.
0: When I win a couple races, I'll.
2: I'm all right. And if you want to get in contact with us, do that. By email, we are info at thecanonparadigm.com. That's it. Glenn,
1: music. Do
4: you do that every time?